Welcome one and all to episode 170 of the original Draft Breakdown Podcast. I'm your host, Seth Cox. With me tonight, my co-host, Justin Higdon. And Justin, after a uh, week off where we had Halloween, uh, we had, well, you had school that you had to deal with, we're back and, and getting into more NFL draft talk, college football talk, and just like enjoying this entire process as it's unfortunately winding down the games um we're in the last month man it's crazy that we're already here yeah what are we nine games in now or is that right no well we're yeah we're heading into week 11 week 11 yeah so um yeah we saw some crazy stuff you know even though i was uh as seth said i was in minnesota last week at the illustrious mitchell hamlin school of law um, we apologize we couldn't get you a show, but uh, we did uh, several articles on Patreon last week. So if you are even a, if you're a, an elite patron, then you saw all those articles last week. So, um, but we're back and we saw some crazy, crazy stuff. Like uh, we'll we'll talk about CJ Stroud a little on Patreon this week, um, and that game 30, 40 mile an hour wins in Ryan Field and Evanston, and we saw the highest scoring regulation game in college football history between SMU and and Houston and I wrote about those two quarterbacks Tanner Mordecai and Clayton Toon who both lit up the scoreboard uh, that's on Patreon as well so just a, a wild week we're seeing some maybe some controversy but the top four right now seems pretty solid and uh, so we're going to talk a little bit today about some draft prospects who were in the way too early mocks, where they stand now, maybe some guys who took their place. And then we're also going to talk about one of the, as we like to say, the draft tastemakers, Dane Brugler. He put out a new top 50, like midseason top 50. So we'll take a look at some of the interesting names that surfaced in that because that he's going to give us some some names to know that maybe weren't as uh, high profile as, as uh you know, not as high profile, not not guys that we necessarily had high on the radar until uh, seeing this. So, well, and that's the thing is when we talk about Dane, and it's going to come off. I don't want people to think of it negatively when we say, you know, like one a tastemaker, but two, he comes in with information, right? Like, as Dane's good, don't get us wrong. Dane does a lot of work, puts in a ton of work, but these guys. And we're we're similar, you know. Once you get information from the NFL, you start to. I don't want to say change, but you start to understand or or adjust what you're thinking as well, because now you're like hearing from the actual decision makers in the NFL, and, and Dane's dialed in and has that information, and so right. it is important to go into like, hey, he's talking about these guys. Um, we all need to be listening, not because you're copying, but that's because he's he's relaying information to us that uh, that he's receiving from the NFL itself. Yeah, and if you've listened to us for a while, which which probably most of you have, um, then you know that we're not just going to, you know, like Seth said, we're not being negative or, or sarcastic or anything when we talk about Dane being a tastemaker. He's legitimately one of the most well-known draft Knicks that uh, you'll you'll have around, you know, there's Kuyper, McShay, and then there's Dane and, and Matt Miller. So all those guys kind of, 
they get information. But when we, we hear the name, we know it's a guy we need to keep an eye out on. And it doesn't mean we're going to actually like that player, but it is a player that we need to investigate, look into for ourselves, and, and uh, have a take on at the end of the year. So we start out with revisiting the way too early mock drafts. And, and you know, they're, the nice thing is a lot of these guys update it and therefore don't retain early mock drafts, but we do have some information, right? Um, one of the, and so some of the f- easiest ones to talk about right off the top of the top of things are, are like Will Anderson. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Will Anderson came in. I don't want to say consensus number one guy, but pert near, wouldn't you say? I think he was consensus number one non-quarterback at least. Um, you know, I looked at the – when we, we compiled this, we looked at uh, Mark Schofield's mock for touchdown wire. We looked at – I think it was it's Jack Borowski, I think, for SI. And, and we looked at Dane's way too early mocks. And, and Will Anderson was a guy at the top you know, in the top two, in the top three, in all those drafts. And he was always the first non-quarterback. So is he still the, is he the best prospect in a draft? You and I have talked about it before and and said that he was. And and the other question for you is, is, is he possibly the number one overall pick? Yeah. I mean, honestly, he hasn't done anything to change my mind. Um, You know, we talk about those drops or those, those peaks and valleys that these guys go through, right? And one of the fun things about Will Anderson is that while he's not on pace for the ridiculous season he had last year, he's still on pace to have a completely dominant season for what has become, and this isn't us taking shots, this is just the reality of the situation, the worst Alabama team in a decade. And... (laughs) And, and they've lost two games. I mean, that right. says a lot. And, and and one of the reasons they're the worst Alabama team in, in a decade is outside of Will Anderson, there's not a ton to write home about right now on the defensive side of the ball. Well, you've got um, the safety branch. I know Jordan Battle is a player that, that a lot of people were high on. Kool-Aid McKinstry, he's a true sophomore, but you – and yeah. Dallas Turner. I mean, yeah, so you've Dallas got a couple Turner. interesting underclassmen, but like mm-hmm. you don't have the five or six guys going in the top 90 or 100 that and, we have come to expect from Alabama. Yeah. And one of the guys we're, we're about to talk about was supposed to be one of those guys. Uh, we'll, we'll circle back to that. But, you know, I think with Will Anderson, for, for one, if he was having the same season he was having last year, this season, he, he might be the top Heisman contender because nobody's really right. No, nobody's race. ran away from it. Uh-huh. And, um, but seven sacks, 13 tackles for a loss already this year. It, in normal terms, we'd be, you know, we'd, we'd still be very high on him. So it's just, it's tough to compare him to a year that was otherworldly when he was not even draft eligible. Um, but maybe there are, you know, we've, we've talked about like him being, on the, the thinner side for a pass rush specialist, on the lighter side for what the NFL has valued in the past. And maybe some of that 
is is a concern. I still think what you're going to see is when push comes to shove at the top of the the draft, whoever's picking number one, number two, number three, they're all probably going to have to consider quarterback in those spots. But as we've seen, still, um, you know, throwback to 2017, Cleveland desperately needed a quarterback and still took Miles Garrett number one overall. So is is Anderson on the level of Miles Garrett as a prospect or like maybe uh, even Nick Bosa or Chase Young, other guys who were talked about as potentially being better uh, picks at the top of the draft than the quarterbacks who went there? That's that, I think there's an argument for him. I mean, just productivity wise, I think he's, uh, Anderson's expected to test very well, but he's not as big as those other guys. That's probably going to be a difference. And I think that he won't go number one even though he maybe should. So what's interesting to me is, and the guy that I would say is closest in terms of of size coming out was Vaughn Miller. I was thinking right? that too. Yep. So Va- Vaughn was 6'3", 245 coming out. Um, I'm going to guess Anderson's going to be right in that area, wouldn't you? Like 6'3", 245. Between two forty and two fifty, I know 10, 10 pounds that's, is a wide range, but that's about what he's been listed at. I think he might be a little bit taller, but yeah, I think you're looking at similar height weight. And what's really intriguing is that if you go to two thousand nine, which was Miller's junior year versus Anderson's sophomore year, super similar numbers: twenty one and a half tackles for loss, seventeen sacks. And then Miller came back for his senior year, um, which would be the equivalent to Anderson's junior year, and had 17 and a half tackles for loss and 10 and a half sacks. So you can see the... It's even, hard to do it two times in a row, right? Right. But you can even see the small stylistic comparison or productivity comparison, excuse me, in, in that match as well and so yeah to your point it's super tough to be that special back to back and now you know and so you can see you know whether it's you know miller like you said miles garrett miles garrett one of the biggest complaints coming out was just you know that Again, that drop off. He went eleven as a freshman, eleven and a half as a sophomore, and then eight and a half as a as a junior. Um, you, you just know. start to get more attention from right uh, offensive coordinators scheming to get get the ball out quicker. Um, from offensive linemen, from you know, you get you get chipped. You get the running backs and tight ends get involved in blocking you, and uh, it's a whole thing. So. You know, I think Anderson's still been very, very productive. I'm not concerned about his productivity at all. Um, I do think, though, like I said, I still think you're going to see quarterbacks go ahead of him, whether they should or not. One of the guys that has not lived up to the early hype, uh, and it'll be really interesting to see what the NFL thinks of him, is uh, Kayshawn Bouti. Uh, the the junior wide receiver out of LSU who was getting top ten, um, talk heading into the season. A lot of people's wide receiver one. I know we talked about the draft network. Uh, a lot of those guys had him at number one wide receiver. Um, yeah, 
And so now you look at him, he's on the season, and he's improved for an LSU team that's starting to gel together. But it's clearly his worst season as a collegiate athlete by a lot. Um, you know, as a, as a freshman in 2020, he had 735 yards, five touchdowns. As a sophomore, in only six games, he had over 500 yards receiving and nine touchdowns in six games. This season in eight games, he's got 339 yards, only one touchdown. Um, the production's way down. Like we said, the Jaden Daniels um, experiment there with uh, with Brian Kelly as the head coach has started to produce some fruit. Um, and that includes uh, Booty and and what he's done kind of, you know, at the back half of the season after really, really struggling. Even against Bama this week, I mean, the last three games, his numbers have improved. 115, six catches, 115 yards in a win over Florida, four for 43, not great, but still not bad against Mississippi. And then seven for 51, again, not great, but better than what he had been doing all season um, against against Bama. And so what do you, what do we make of this? So I think he's out of the first round right now. I don't think he's a first. I would, a, I would agree with that, by the way. Yeah. And, and I think there's maybe – you know, for one, you've had a ton of drops. And uh, I think we mentioned that when uh, I, I squeezed him into the top five when we did our top five wide receivers on Patreon recently. Um, Dane Brugler, now this is something that I, I wanted to read to the listeners here because uh, Brugler makes a really interesting critique of, of Keishon Budic. He says his pliable body movements and acceleration make him dangerous as a route runner and after the catch. However, he might be relegated to the slot in the NFL. Um, so has he lost a step because of the leg injury last year? That's possible because he was supposed to be a sub 4-4 four, four guy. But you see on a play, um, you know, there was a tough play. Daniels threw the pass to him. It was behind him. But it seems like two years ago, it was a play that, Kayshawn would have walked into the end zone on it. And instead he comes, uh, tries to turn the corner, runs out of bounds, bounds a couple of yards short. Maybe it's better pass and he does walk into the end zone, but it does seem to me like he maybe lost a step. And I found it very interesting that Dane said he might be relegated to the slot. If he is relegated to the slot, then you, you know, it, it becomes almost uh, a slam dunk, I think, that he does fall out of the first day because you have some other intriguing uh, receivers that are making a lot of noise. And we don't always have to have five first round receivers or six first round receivers like we've had in recent years. It, are you it sure doesn't about have... that? <laughs> I mean, the mocks we do, we know that, okay. All right. but All in right. reality, I'm not sure that we do. So um, we've seen other guys elevate um, and I don't want to spoil later in the show, but we've seen other guys elevate. And then we've seen, um, you know, another guy that I think we should talk about right now, um, maybe on track to also fall out of the first round, and that's and that's Jackson Smith and Jigba, who was 
and in many cases, people were saying he was wide receiver one heading into the year. He hasn't played much this year. He's he's played parts of three games. He's had to leave two of those with the injury. The hamstring is really really dogging him, and uh, he may be back this weekend. But he's missed some big games, and the Ohio State passing offense. You know, maybe they could have used him last weekend in those high wins, but it doesn't seem overall that they've really missed a beat because they have Marvin Harrison Jr., Emeka Ibuka, and and Cade Stover carrying a lot, and Julian Fleming, for that matter, carrying a lot of weight. JSN, almost an afterthought on his own team, and I feel like he's fallen into the same, uh, you know, for different reasons, but falling into the same category here as, as Kayshawn Booty. Yeah, here's my question to you. And I know he's played in three games and and he was underwhelming in those three games and part of that I mean, as it's because he's had to come out almost right. immediately. I was, gonna, I was gonna say to to that point, it was because he was injured in almost all three of those games. Let me ask you something. What is your take on the injury difference versus what we're seeing with with Keishon Booty because it's I if we factor in injuries like you and I like to especially lower body injuries for for players where where it becomes a concern right that they're not able to get back to health um, you know we've talked about these guys for years and so it's not it's not like we're picking on anybody but we've talked about it for years and that that includes you know guys that went super early and that haven't panned out because we, that's what we said. We're like, what are you, you can't take guys with lower body injuries. You just can't that consistent lower body injuries. Um, but is, is it as big of a deal as not performing well, like Smith and, or like, uh, Kayshawn or, or is it just a different concern level at this point? Because, like, I think the biggest thing is now you talk about the fact that you have guys like um, Jamar Chase that skipped their season, right? Like, and and came back and were drafted in the top five. And I'm not saying I'm not putting Smith and Jigba on Chase's level by any means. I'm just saying that that's that's what we've seen now. So I think the I think the performance issue is more of a concern than the injury issue. In this case, we're not talking about a player who's, uh, you know, tore they completely shredded his knee or anything like that. His injury was uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba's injury is not even as severe as the one Keishon Booty suffered a year ago, or even the one Jalen Waddle suffered in his final year at Bama when he missed. Uh, much of his season and was and was definitely hampered at the end of the year and couldn't ultimately couldn't test before the draft but what you're seeing right now is a nagging chronic injury and that is a concern for because you want to see like when is he going to get better from this now i suspect strongly that ohio state is extremely cautious with injuries to key players at this part, at this uh, point in their schedule, right? Um, even if it means not playing some of their best players against a team like Penn State, I think Ohio State coaching staff still feels like they can 
win that game. So the goal when it comes to these some of these injuries like Travion Henderson, for example, he was warming up before the Northwestern game. The weather was bad. They decided to hold him out. And uh, they've kind of alternated holding out running backs with Mayan Williams also being dinged up at times. But they'll hold out guys completely. And um, they want them healthy for the Michigan game, for potentially a Big Ten championship or playoff game. With Jackson Smith and Jigba, I don't know how much of that's going on. Like, is he, could he go if it was a really must win, do or die game? Um, I think lately he probably could have, but they don't need him to. And that, but that kind of also says, like, well, do they just have all these receivers? Are all these receivers so good that um, he really wasn't ever a high first round pick? And my opinion is, that he's never been the type of prospect that like Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave were. I, I've never thought he was on their level where they went in the top 12. I still think he's he's very good, but he's not going to run a sub 4-4. He never was, even with a good hamstring. So, I don't know. That's kind of a roundabout way. But I, I think the lack of performance would be more concerning than the injury, but also... There are things about Smith and Jigba as a prospect that make him maybe not a, a first rounder to begin with. So now you've got added concerns with the injury. Eli Ricks was bandied about as being a top cornerback prospect for it, as he went in the portal from LSU to Alabama. And outside of four pass breakups for Mississippi State, he's not done much this year. He's a guy that's got to come back, right? At this point, I think he has to. Um, you know, he's going to be a height, weight, speed guy, though. So you never know with those guys. They can try and, and declare and go out on uh, and, and rest on those laurels. But there was a problem, some kind of issue that was keeping him relegated to special teams until recently. And you just haven't seen anything that would warrant a first round pick. We were also projecting him as a breakout player. So it's not like we're, we're not, uh, you know, down on anybody else for saying Eli Ricks was going to be a potential first rounder. We thought so too. It just hasn't panned out. Yeah. And it's just, I mean, it's one of those situations where, you you mentioned the height weight speed thing, but I think he would be taken more seriously if Bama's defense was good this year. It, and if he had been playing, <laughs> no, no, and that's it, what I mean. But that's what I mean is like you you'd be more forgiving of his lack of playing time if they were good. But oh, like right. the fact the fact that they're not good and he's still struggling to get burned, you're like oh, right. <laughs> you're like well, if this guy can't help this Bama defense, like yeah. Uh, and that's that's tough, man. I mean, you hate to talk about guys that way. You thought he thought he was going into the right situation. He didn't. It is what it is. Um, I think three quarterbacks that were highly I, highly is a strong word, but we can just kind of lump these guys in together. I mean, they but these are three quarterbacks who were appearing in mocks in May, and a couple of them later in the mocks than the, the first guy, but. Um, they've been replaced, but there aren't enough guys to replace all three. 
No, and that's uh, Tyler Van Dyke, uh, Tanner McKee, and Phil Jerkovich. And, and, you know, we've talked about all three. It, and I think Van Dyke has, uh, well, maybe it's Jerkovich. I don't know. Who's been the worst? <laughs> I, it's hard. Well, it's like a coin toss, right? Van Dyke's got a shoulder injury, and so he's been in and out because of that. So I don't think he's been the worst. Um, Jerkovich, Jer- or Jerkovic. Sorry, we're just getting we'll get with the pronunciations, no, but we'll, we'll get it right if you're good. Yeah, Phil Jerkovic, um, Notre Dame transfer, uh, redshirt senior at BC. Yeah, he also uh, has been injured and missed this past weekend's game because of that injury. And we know he missed time last year with the hand injury, but he just hasn't really been very good otherwise. And he's got the, you know, he's got the arm strength and and uh even a little bit of athleticism where he he just feels like he should be better than he is but he's never you know taking that next step it looked like he was going to be an up-and-comer but he's plateaued and you just don't see any i don't know uh dane does not have jerkovic in his top 50 anymore uh he does however have mckee still in there and actually has McKee ranked above Hendon Hooker, who is really the guy who's supplanted all these other three guys in first-round mocks lately. But Seth and I have talked about it a number of times. We don't really think Hooker is go- is ultimately going to go in the first round. Maybe he will. I, I mean, I just think it would be a mistake given his age and given... Uh, the offense that he runs at Tennessee. I, I like him. Tennessee's obviously having a very good season, but you're talking about there. There was a stat. Um, I think there were four NFL games that had starting quarterback um, battles who where the starting quarterbacks were younger than Stetson Bennett against Hendon Hooker. So, you know, I I just we we I ranted about. Uh, Jim Nagy's take on Hooker and how age doesn't matter. I, I ranted about that on Patreon a couple weeks ago. I just don't buy it. But yeah, Hooker is the guy who's in the new mocks, and those other three guys are out of the first round. Yeah, and and we talked about it when we talked about our our rankings the other week. McKee was the only guy that either one of us had in the top five. And just to be clear, that was you. Yeah, and so I listen to the NFL, and you do your own thing. Which is, <laughs> but, you know, you look at it, guys like McKee will get a chance. Van Dyke will be interesting to watch because, like you said, he's dealing with injuries. I think Dracovic is, I think he's a sunk cost at this point. He's going to be a guy that goes undrafted. Possibly. Maybe day three, you know. And by the way, if you want to listen to our quarterback rankings, those those did make it onto iTunes. It's bonus episode, I think, 78. So um, no subscription necessary. Go back and listen to that if you wanted to hear our top five quarterback rankings. Some names, some different names from Dane Brugler's new top 50. Um, let's start with a guy that, is he even going to come out? And that's that's... Um, Iowa defensive end Lucas Van Ness, the 6'5", 265-pound redshirt sophomore, is getting some love in this instance. 
And when you look at what he's done, he's had two fairly similar years. Uh, We talked about that with Will Anderson. Obviously, two completely different planes of ability and prospects. But uh, Van Ness, as a a redshirt freshman last year, had eight and a half tackles for loss and seven sacks. Backing it up this year with eight and a half tackles for loss and five sacks. We talked about how bad this Bama team is in terms of just what we've seen. Um, Iowa hasn't lost four games or more than four games in a season since 2017. They've already lost four games this season. Uh, They're five and four. I guess they're technically bowl eligible, but that isn't really an accomplishment anymore. I think they can um, still win the West. Yeah, and which isn't really <laughs> an accomplishment anymore either. No. But <laughs> it's it's a battle to see who's going to lose to Ohio State or Michigan, right, in the Big Ten championship game. Right. And so it'll be interesting to watch what people think of Van Ness. Um, it doesn't seem to me that Iowa defenders or really any Iowa of. players – that are redshirt sophomores come out that early. That's what I was kind of hinting at earlier. And the other question mark I have for you, and and we, I don't think we have any data as far as I know, but um, it seems to me like Iowa, like offensive linemen and tight ends are always ultra athletic, but not necessarily their other positions. Yeah. Well, and my question becomes, because when you look at Van Ness's usage, he's not a true um he's not a true like edge only type. They use him kind of all across the line. But at his size, I don't know if that's really conducive to looking at him at the next level, if that makes sense. No. Right, he's 6'5", 265, so if you think he's an inside-outside guy, you ideally you want him to add at least 10 pounds, which is probably very doable. Iowa has a great strength and conditioning program. But then at, at, as an inside-outside guy, I think you, you, you lose some value as opposed to just being a true edge rusher. But NFL guys and, and draft nicks get caught up on, in, you know, sometimes their right brain takes over. They get caught up and creativity and they start imagining oh how amazing this guy can be if he's an inside outside guy like with solomon thomas back a few years ago and that's who i was going to bring up so yeah that's what my question was like an incredible freak athlete too okay so he's played 360 snaps this year uh lucas van ness he's played defensive tackle uh, 131 times and then he's played like the end um, about the same maybe maybe slightly more and and so that's my question is like uh, even like you said even if he gets up to 275 how many how many interior defensive linemen are playing at 275 in the NFL um, they're not, you know, they're moving inside on passing downs is what they're doing. 
So you right, know, we've seen right. Cleveland do that with Clowney and, and uh, Miles Garrett in recent years. But they're they're yeah. even bigger and more athletic than Van Ness. Yeah, presumably. I mean, definitely bigger and presumably more athletic. I, I mean, they're not he's not gonna test like freaking Miles Garrett, man. I would not think so. So the guy he kind of reminds me of, and it's taken four seasons for him to kind of blossom, is is Zach Allen, who's with okay. the Arizona Cardinals now, who was a similar right, was a similar body type coming out of Boston College, but until he was able to get up into the high 280s, low 290s, he struggled to stay healthy. So, I mean, and and he was a third-round pick. And like I said, this year he's been fantastic, but, like, top 50 seems heavy. Uh, next guy on the list. I was going to say real quick on, on oh, Dan, yeah, Dan Ness, when in doubt, Compare a guy named Van Ness to Kyle Vandenbosch. Right, exactly. Former Nebraska defensive end. Former Arizona Cardinal great. Right. So. We worked in two Cardinals there. Zach Allen, Kyle Vandenbosch. Perfect. Uh, South Dakota State. Are you buying Tucker Craft as a, as a guy to know? You know, Dane says uh, Tucker Craft, the tight end from South Dakota State is a guy to know and and he brings up the name of dallas goddard another south dakota state guy um so really i i'm not going to lie to our listeners and say that i'm well versed in this guy no i do know that he had um over 700 yards almost 800 yards receiving last year and that he's been hurt this year but is uh coming on starting to pick up but this is kind of this goes back to what i was saying earlier if Somebody shows up on the top fifty from Dane Brugler, that means we better watch him at some point. So that's that's all I can really say about Tucker Craft. Um, he sounds like a South Dakota State tight end, right? Tucker Craft. One well, and, and they list him at six five, two fifty five. Huge. So he's a big move tight end. And South Dakota that, State produces freaks too. Yeah, that was where Godere came from, right? Right. Was that where Chris uh, Strevlin came from too? Strevler, yeah. Okay, yeah, and he ran like he was like a big quarterback who ran a four sub four four. Yeah, I mean, if we want to talk about Arizona Cardinals guys, I'm down for it. <laughs> we keep keep bringing them up. Um, um, Devin A. Chain. Yeah, we've talked about him. He's finally putting it all together uh, this season after you know doing a, doing similar last season. The yards per carry are down, but the usage is up. But they're not down enough where it's a concern, especially and in an he's offense that a lot of weight in that. I was offense. gonna say in an offense that sucks, and and it, yeah, Texas A&M's been really bad, but he's getting twenty two touches a game. That's huge, and uh, Dane has him ranked thirty five. I had him as my running back three when we did our running back rankings. Uh, trying to tell you, it's this guy's a sprinter. He's a track star, little undersized, but. He's still going to go very high. Um, speaking of track stars, Jalen Hyatt, Dane has him at 37. I think I think he's too low on him. And that's a, another player we talked about when we did our top fives on Patreon. Um, Hyatt was my, what, receiver three? Yeah, both of our 
Yeah. Three. Yeah. And, and he's expected to run a four, three flat. He's like Will Fuller with, with really good hands right now. Held a little bit in check by Georgia, but still played pretty well this past weekend. They, they finally shut him out of the end zone, but he still had six catches. Uh, Jalen Hyatt is no joke. Uh, this last guy though, and I, the only reason we're kind of glossing over a chain and highest cause we've talked about them a lot in recent shows, but, this last guy we haven't talked about at all, Emmanuel Forbes, cornerback from Mississippi State. He's six foot, 180 pound junior, five picks this year, six pass breakups, two touchdowns. Not only is he having a huge year, but listen to these career numbers 13 picks, 16 pass breakups, five touchdown returns. That's on defense in just three seasons. Uh, Emmanuel Forbes, very good prospect. We saw another cornerback coming out of uh, Mississippi State last year, Martin Emerson. He plays for Cleveland now, and he's having a very good rookie year for them and has been pressed into starting role. Forbes, smaller than Emerson, but looks like he might even be a better prospect. Had a 39.9-inch vertical in high school. This guy looks like the real deal. Yeah, and we've seen that they like you said that they've put out some some intriguing um corner prospects. We've seen Cameron Dantzler, uh you mentioned Emerson. And so uh Forbes is just and I don't want to take anything away from him when I say this, so I don't mean it in a negative way. He's just another guy in now that lineage where they're putting together strong defensive backs and that's even more astounding when you remember that mike leach is the head coach right right i was gonna go back to Darius slay was a mississippi state guy too so if you're talking about corners yeah um, so i mean you're talking about four guys drafted in the top 75 i want to say or at least top 100 and one of the um concerns that brugler has for Forbes is that he actually says he looks like he's skinnier, like under 170 pounds. And he did, when I mentioned his testing numbers in high school, he was 151 pounds when he registered those numbers. So they might be juicing his weight a little bit to put him at 180. Um, but man, that's not you, all that's you, being juiced, right? <laughs> you and I love those ball hawks, though. Interceptions yeah, they- plus pass breakups. We subscribe to the Belichick defensive back theory you had a pretty good hot take for us yeah i this this hot take was so good i had to send it to our uh, slack to our producer rob and to seth early but um jim Nagy, man the senior bowl chief he just sometimes he's like pff he's like a gold mine for these things and he gets so geared up man when it's time for invites and he really becomes invested in, in getting some of these seniors into his game. And I think it causes him almost a short circuit and say things that just are, you know, I don't want to say crazy. That's not, but just like outrageous. Right. He says he tweeted on, on Saturday, uh, hard to, hard to have Bryce young as a top quarterback in the draft with a top five pick and say Stetson Bennett is an undrafted free agent. Being little guys is the biggest knock on both. 
Young undoubtedly has more arm talent, but no way there should be that big of a discrepancy in draft grades. Okay, so first of all, I'll agree with Jim Nagy and say I'm not sure that Bryce Young is a top five pick. I think it's I I really don't agree that he's a top five pick. Um, although sometimes he he does magical things that make him look like he should be the first pick overall. You know, I talked about again. Go back and listen to bonus episode seventy eight. You'll hear all my more nuanced thoughts on on Bryce Young. But look, you're invoking a player in Stetson Bennett who's four years older already than Bryce Young, and um, and is undoubtedly going to be either like a seventh round pick or undrafted free agent. A player who it seems like to me that only Jim Nagy is talking about is even a draft prospect. Like, is anybody else talking about Stetson Bennett as a draft prospect? I get it that he's a good college quarterback and that he's leading potentially the best team in the country in Georgia, that he's putting up some some big games. Nagy went on to tweet that Bennett's going to run a 4-5-40. I'm, I'd be shocked about that. Maybe he will, but um, when he's 5'10 and 190 pounds, does it really matter? Where I, I just don't see why. It, it's almost like he's watching Bryce Young bring his team back in that game against LSU and force overtime. And he's just like, but he's got to talk about his guy and Bennett who's, who's eligible for his game, the senior bowl. And, and then he goes, he says young undoubtedly has more arm talent. Yeah, Jim, that matters. It matters that he's four years younger and has more arm talent. Yes. Both of those things matter. So I don't know. This was a crazy take to me. Uh, why even invoke, the name and then uh, Booger McFarlane, who's been in the hot takes before too, he asked Nagy, "So where would you draft Bennett based on that statement?" And uh, Nagy says he's better than many guys who've been taken late over the past decade. And he adds a couple more things. This is where he also said the four or five, but he never really answered Booger's question. He didn't say where he'd draft him. He doesn't care. Because all he wants is Stetson Bennett in the Senior Bowl, as I've said before. Hey, I mean, it's just one of those situations where you got to get those guys to the game first, right? I get it. It's your game. You're the CEO of that game. You're trying to, to um, you know, get guys, big names into your game, generate revenue. But you can't also be like part of draft Twitter or part of the draft media if you have an ulterior motive i mean you can he is but it's not it's it's not to the degree that you'd say it's unethical because it's not that important but it it's like you know you have an ulterior motive anything else before we get out of here no it's just good to be back uh thanks to jim Nagy, he always gets me fired up uh, <laughs> thanks to, <laughs> thanks to uh my my school Mitchell Hamlin School of Law for having me last week. And thanks to all of you for being patient and bearing with us while I took a little break uh, to get some things in order. So um, we, like Seth said at the beginning of the show, we're into the nitty gritty of the draft season. So I look forward to more of these uh, passionate discussions going forward. Yeah, we'll be back later this week with a bonus episode. So if you're interested, make sure you check out our Patreon where you get an an additional podcast a week and one of our or two of our articles 
one from each of us every week to help you get to know all these uh these prospects so your head's not spinning come come april uh thanks for listening as always we'll be back later this week with our bonus episode have a good night everybody We need to do an outro at some point. Just something kind of... What I hear in other shows is where they're like, uh, you know, uh, subscribe and give us a five-star review. Sign up for our Patreon. It's $2 a month for our bonus episodes, $4 a month for all additional content. Something like that. Yeah, we should work on something like that. That could be it right there. A read, yeah. That's it. Exactly.